0: Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack size episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velarkis and I'm an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist and This little mini-series is a little bit more personal, which I know you all love, (laughs) and it is going to be about my egg freezing journey. So for those who follow us over on Instagram, which is at the underscore dietologist, you may have seen me posting on stories and over the last few months uh, via videos about me getting ready to freeze my eggs and the process of freezing my eggs. So, what I wanted to do was to document this in podcast form because I know we all like to learn and consume content in different ways and and obviously it's a bit more long form than little story updates. So, I'm going to be giving you a two-part little mini-series about my egg freezing journey. One will be more about my personal story And one will be about some practical nutrition tips to help you get ready for egg freezing. So today's episode is going to be all about my story. And next week's episode will be all about some nutrition tips to help you implement. Without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. So about a year ago, I decided, well, I started thinking about freezing my eggs And the reason for that was because a long-term relationship had ended, a relationship where we had discussed having children together, the timing around that, and, yeah, so the ending of that relationship was uh, an important factor in me deciding to freeze my eggs and it was because I thought – it would be wise to take some time for myself, uh, for my career and also to not rush the process of selecting a new partner to potentially have children with one day. So I didn't want there to be pressure on any future scenarios. So that was something that got me to start thinking about it in yeah, late 2021, I would say. I was very much in two minds for several months, I would say. I would flip-flop between I'm going to do it to what if it's a waste of money and I never need to use it. And I would constantly kind of flip-flop between those two ideas. And it was probably not until maybe March or April 2022, where I became more solidified in my perspective that I was going to actually go ahead and freeze my eggs. And there are a number of reasons for freezing my eggs that are beyond the social reasons, which I just mentioned, which is often referred to as social egg freezing, which there is nothing wrong with social egg freezing. There's just no funding for it. (laughs) At least here in Australia, there's no government funding for social egg freezing. I do have some medical factors that are relevant and some other factors that are relevant too. I did film a whole video about this on Instagram at the start of the process, but I think there are some additional factors that have come into play as time has gone on that would make my why did I freeze my eggs a bit more updated. So I froze my eggs because social reasons, absolutely. I'm single. I don't know when I am going to have children and I would like to have the youngest available eggs in case I need to use them for IVF. The second reason is in December 2019, I was diagnosed with stage 2 endometriosis, which one in nine people with uteruses have. It's an extremely common reproductive health disorder. It is not automatically a diagnosis of infertility. However, it does increase your risk of delays to conception, and it does increase the risk of requiring IVF to conceive there is about a 30 to 50% statistic of people with endometriosis experiencing infertility. Generally speaking, the more severe, so stages one through four to five, um, the more severe the endometriosis, the theory is there's more of an impact on fertility. But I've seen cases where, you know, stage one and stage two endometriosis can have a negative impact on conception as well. So naturally, that is something that is on my mind. Now, do I think every single person with endometriosis needs to go out and freeze their eggs? No. But did I want to? Yes. And there's more than just these factors involved for me. So I will continue now. (laughs) Um, The other reason was because of my job. So a few episodes ago now, I recorded an episode about fertility anxiety and feeling concerned about Uh, Even though you don't want to have a baby right now, that in the future, when you do want to have a baby, that it may be difficult and the anxiety around that. And I have probably had that for quite some time, but you have to think I see people who are struggling with fertility every single day. Uh, Every day I open my DMs, there's messages from people, there's stories. Every day I open my emails, every single consult is similar in its nature. And so even if I know from a sampling bias perspective, I'm not seeing what is an accurate reflection of the population, it does get to you in some way. And it does make you wonder about your own fertility and your own health and wellbeing. And I was already a little bit anxious about it at baseline. So I think definitely my job has had a big impact. And I think the other thing, which I think is quite positive, is my clients and, you know, the clients that say, you know, I wish I did this, you know, I wish I did this differently. And I really appreciate their wisdom and their insights. And so many of them are like, if I could have frozen my eggs 10 years ago, I really wish I did, or I I really wish I would have. And not to say that that was accessible or available to everybody, even 10 years ago, the technology has changed so, so much. But I wanted to heed their advice because everybody, everybody thinks that they're the exception, that they're going to be the one that breaks the rules and goes against the statistic. But the statistics are statistics for a reason. And many of us are going to fall into that category of experiencing a delay to conception and you know, many of us are going to require fertility interventions like IVF to grow our family. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I thought if that was potentially going to be my future anyway, then why not have the youngest, healthiest, in theory, eggs that I can get so that I can maximize my chances of having a baby one day. The other thing is, going back to my endometriosis, is that If I require another endometriosis surgery, which I'm certain I will uh, one day, I don't know when that day is, but I am certain it's not in the too distant future, just based on my symptoms and everything else, I am fully aware that, for me, my endometriosis very much stays clear of my reproductive organs. It doesn't grow on my ovaries or in my fallopian tubes. It grows, you know, very minimally in the uterus and... That's always been the case for me. It's very much been in other parts of my abdomen that causes it's the pain, but I never say never. <laughs> and so, ovarian endometriosis or endometriosis of the reproductive organs, even if it's removed, those surgeries can have a potential negative impact on your ovarian reserve. And that's not to scare anybody from doing these surgeries, but it's a very possible consequence and so I thought well if I'm going to be going ahead potentially with more surgeries in the coming years whilst my ovarian reserve is good I want to maximize that and reduce the potential number of egg freezing cycles I need to do. I see many people who need to freeze their eggs after endometriosis surgery due to a drop in ovarian reserve whether that be due to surgery or other reasons I don't know because often it's not getting tested beforehand and then because their ovarian reserve is lower, they may need to do three, four, five rounds of egg freezing to get sufficient number of eggs to be statistically viable to have a probability of a live birth. And so I just thought, well, if I do it now, I can probably get away with just doing one round, maybe two maximum and be done. And I had the, the money available um, as well. Now, during my process of preparing for egg freezing, which I'll will outline in a second, I did do some genetic carrier screening or preconception genetic carrier screening, which you can do. There's a few different ways that you can do it. You can ask your doctor and they will check for the three main genes that they typically look for, which are SMA or spinal Muscular Atrophy, Cystic Fibrosis and Fragile X Syndrome. And so those are the three that you can ask your GP for as part of preconception genetic carrier screening. These are inheritable genetic conditions, some of which may affect your child's life um, in terms of their lifespan and also quality of life. And I decided to get this done in advance. It wasn't necessarily a necessary step. It was definitely an extra step. And I just thought, well, the genes that I carry are not going to change today as they will, you know, in 10 years' time if I decide to have a kid in 10 years' time. So I might as well just find out now and if that's an additional reason for freezing my eggs, then so be it. So I did a more comprehensive panel privately and it looked at almost 300 different inheritable genes. And I did carry one of the three, um, SMA. And so I decided that it was more pertinent that I froze my eggs because in the, the chance that I have a partner that also carries the SMA gene, then, uh, the chances of us having a child that is affected by SMA is 1 in 4 and and the statistics of a partner carrying that gene is about 1 in 47 which is not that low so i did feel like that really cemented that you know even if i could get pregnant naturally one day that i may require ivf just from a pre-implantation genetic screening standpoint where they can look for those genes in the embryos um, and not transfer those so everyone has different opinions on preconception genetic carry screening and pre-implantation genetic screening I'm not opening it up for a discussion um, it's more I guess just documenting my thought process and the steps that I took in preparation for um, freeze my eggs and the reasons why I did so That's pretty much a, in short, (laughs) not that short, summary of why I decided to freeze my eggs. It was May when I went to see my GP and asked for the referral to a fertility specialist to freeze my eggs. Um, For those who watched that video on Instagram, you know that that GP consult went uh, very interestingly, which was, um, it was kind of met with uh, why like what's the point, fertility clinics are just using this to make money off people, the statistics of freezing your eggs aren't that great anyway, and just a very like negative viewpoint on it. I requested some pathology to be done so that the fertility specialist could have all the available information and she kind of refused to do it. Luckily, I've had a number of tests in recent years uh, ultrasounds and AMHs and all that good stuff um because of my surgeon. And so I had enough data, recent enough data that I didn't need to redo all my investigations. So that certainly reduced the amount of time I needed to get started. I then got booked in with my fertility specialist. A lot of people asking me who I chose, how I chose, uh, what clinic, all those kinds of things, just kind of decided not to disclose all those kinds of details. Just because I work in the industry, I don't want people to think that I was paid or that it's some kind of partnership or collaboration. It's not. I am a full paying paying client of the clinic and I chose it out of my own volition and it was purely a decision that I made based on my history and My knowledge of the industry and I understand it's very unique. I don't have any good tips or systems to help you choose a practitioner. It's very individual. I recommend asking around in your community if you have one and also reading up on their websites, their bios, all those kinds of things and seeing who you gel with. And yeah, don't be afraid to make lots of inquiry calls. Luckily for me, I got in to see my specialist pretty quickly. It was only, I think, two or three weeks. Um, I had a Zoom consult with her. My case, like I said, is pretty straightforward because of my age um, and my history. Whilst it's not simple, it's also not extremely complex. So, you know, the protocol that Uh, my specialist put me on was pretty straightforward. And she just said, whenever you're ready, you call the month before the period that you want to start and we'll start. At that point, I was not ready to start. I hadn't yet started taking my vitamins. I hadn't really uh, doubled down too hard on my diet and lifestyle. And I was trying to work on a few other things. Like I was working with an exercise physiologist on my pelvic floor and my pelvic function and my exercise. Because I have endometriosis, I do have um, pain and so I did want to work on that ahead of time as well just for my own well-being, but I did also want to work on it from an egg freezing perspective because there's internal ultrasound scans and they are not my favourite thing. I wanted some time and so pretty much from May through to August, September was I was taking my vitamins every day. I was trying to look after my diet. I was being consistent with exercise for the most part. I didn't go completely zero alcohol. I should have, but I minimized significantly. I don't drink a lot at baseline and never have. So I felt like that, that was probably <laughs> wise over many years because um, your eggs are exposed to things over many years, not just, I mean, the final three months are most critical, but what you do... All the, all the time is actually quite important. And so I felt kind of less pressure because I was like, look, I do the right things most of the time and I'll talk about nutrition next episode a little bit more. It's the same stuff that we talk about for egg quality. But I wanted to not have an overly perfectionistic take on Modifying my diet and lifestyle for egg freezing, I wanted to make sure I was sleeping enough, exercising, eating well most of the time, not being overly restrictive. I did very much cap myself at two coffees a day. I'm sometimes a three-per-day person when I'm really busy or really stressed, and so I did make sure that I capped out at two. I drank alcohol probably less than once a week on average. In an ideal world, I should have had none, and yeah, that was kind of what I wanted to do and work on in the lead up. I didn't want to just dive right in. I then had a bunch of work stuff on and then I went on holiday and then my period went missing. So um, I do have a Marina IUD in place as both contraception and also as part of my management for endometriosis. I know it doesn't stop the endo growing back, but it makes the periods a lot more bearable. And I am grateful for that. It's not right for everyone. I don't promote it, endorse it, recommend it or anything. It's just what works for me. And everybody's experience is so, so unique. So yeah, anyway, don't just do it because I'm doing it situation. So I could freeze my eggs with the marina in place. I didn't need to get it out. So that was good. But it also meant that even though I've had it in for about three years, I've had very regular periods on it. For whatever reason, my period just decided not to show up for about two months. So I wasn't sure when to start. So I got back from my holiday and the clinic was like, look, we'll just have to take a stab in the dark and do blood tests and just see where your hormones are at and see if when we will be ready to start. We don't know if we'll get it on the first go. You might need to go a few times just to see and then, you know, hopefully we can catch it and we can get started. So I literally got home three days later, went and got my first blood test done, same day the clinic called, you're ready to go. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, At this point I had all my medications already in the fridge um, from before I went away, I'd already gone and picked all those up. The medications, there's a few different ones for those who are not familiar with the process of egg freezing, I'll run you through it in a second. And yeah, I pretty much got started (laughs) a week after I came home from holiday and I'm now at the time of recording, I'm three days post retrieval. So let me run you through what is the actual biological situation that is happening when you go to freeze your eggs. In a normal menstrual cycle, your ovaries will try to recruit a number of different follicles. Now a follicle is found in the ovary and it contains follicular fluid. And in that follicular fluid suspended inside is an egg. Well, you hope that there is an egg. Now in every cycle, your body will try to create one, maybe two, what's called dominant follicles, ones that are going to be ready to ovulate. Your body might also attempt to try to get some other eggs to come along, but usually one Kind of becomes the race leader and takes over the whole situation and becomes the one that is ovulated which your fallopian tube then picks up pushes down the fallopian tube and then the corpus luteum forms in the ovary. So that's what's happening in a normal menstrual cycle. It's all dictated by different hormones coming from your brain that's stimulating your ovaries. And your ovaries make estrogen, and progesterone, different amounts to orchestrate this whole situation. The uterine lining gets thicker in preparation for implantation. If you're not pregnant, obviously the uterine lining sheds. Menstrual cycle, crash course 101. <laughs> so... Now that we understand what is happening in a normal menstrual cycle, what's happening in a stimulated cycle where we are trying to retrieve eggs, whether that be to freeze them or for IVF, it's a very, very similar process, the exact same process. So freezing your eggs is like doing the first half of IVF. What you are doing is you are introducing, via an injection typically, extra hormones particularly follicle stimulating hormone or FSH, which as the name suggests, going to stimulate the growth of your follicles exogenously. So outside of the brain via the injection to make the ovaries instead of just making one dominant follicle to make a number of follicles that get to sufficient size to then be picked up and retrieved. One injection that you do, so for me, I did FSH for eight days total, and after a few days, depending on your protocol, everybody's protocol is different. Obviously, do not do what I'm saying to do. I'm just documenting my journey. Then you add in what's called an antagonist or a blocker, and that injection stops you from ovulating. So as the eggs keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, You don't want your body to then trigger (laughs) biologically from the brain to release those eggs, right? Because we want the doctor to go in and pick them up. So you then need to add an injection in that stops your body from actually releasing those eggs. So you're both stimulating and blocking at the same time. So you're making the eggs grow bigger, but you're trying to hold them there so that they're ready for the doctor to pick up. Then... When you go in and get checked, usually they'll do a blood test and they're looking for your levels, particularly of estrogen, to see how many eggs or how mature those eggs are, to see how close you are to being ready to be what's called triggered. Trigger is another injection. (laughs) I believe there's more than one way to get triggered. Um, Mine was an injection. A trigger is when you time this injection to the timing of your egg pickup or your retrieval and so that then gets your body ready to finish that last stage of the eggs getting ready so that the doctor can go in and pick them up now the doctor goes in and picks them up in a simple procedure and for me i was under anesthesia so um, it was iv deep sedation i was asked if i would like light sedation After my ultrasound, I only did one monitoring appointment. So I did one scan, one blood test, and I was ready to go. But I did find the scan quite uncomfortable. It was got nothing to do with the sonographer. I just felt that all the hormones that I was on definitely affected the sensitivity of my tissues down there, and definitely meant that the date with Wanda was a little bit uncomfortable. But we survived. In that appointment, they did say that my right ovary was very much leading the way and that the left ovary had a few but was tucked behind my bowel a little bit and a bit harder to get at. Now, in the procedure, an ultrasound probe is inserted vaginally and a little needle goes through that ultrasound probe and punctures the vaginal wall. It then goes to find the ovary and it aspirates the follicular fluid out And it goes straight to the embryologist in the lab and they then look for the eggs that is repeated for however many follicles you have available on your ovaries, on your right and your left. If you've got two ovaries and then you're woken up. Um, That's pretty much the whole procedure. I had some light bleeding and definitely some cramping. Definitely the day of I was, you know, I, I definitely felt the pain. I took some pain medication, rested a lot. The next day, was better, but still decent amount of pain. Um, I've had, what am I on now? Day three, definitely much better. Not 100% yet, but yeah, getting there. So that was the whole process. Less than two weeks all up if you do the injections, but obviously all the preparations, the appointments, um, all that good stuff in advance. Now, a lot of people ask me questions on Instagram about my... Process and what that looked like, and also just some key questions. So, just some quick stats about my personal situation. Uh, I had a normal ovarian reserve for my age, and I got 18 eggs, and 16 of those were mature, which is considered a decent number of mature eggs to, you know, egg ratio. Everybody is different. Do not compare your. Egg count to somebody else's egg count, it is extremely individual based on my age and what we know about egg freezing. Which we don't know that much about egg freezing in people who are the age of 27 like me, but for those who are younger, we do know you need fewer eggs to potentially achieve a live birth. So I was happy with that and pretty much put me in line with the graph of a 90 ish percent live birth rate with those eggs. Of course, there's no guarantees with IVF, just like anything, but I was comfortable to leave it at one cycle in discussion with my doctor. Before I get into answering all your questions, because there were so many good ones, I just want to say that I am not hoping to be the poster girl of everybody, you should go freeze your eggs. I am not promoting egg freezing. I am, am sharing my take on it there is a lot of people who consider it and don't do it because life and i get it it's easy to put it off it's easy to delay it it's easy to let things get in the way but i just wanted to highlight that once you commit to the process, it's really a two weeks of your life, and truly, it's done after that. If you're doing one round, now obviously doing multiple rounds, you've got different things to think about there. But certainly for me, I felt that it was a very short process. So the eggs are now frozen and stored. If I ever need them, um, I can use them for IVF, where I can rewarm the eggs. Where typically there's a few that don't survive that thawing warming process. Um, fertilize them. Again, not all of them may fertilize, and then not all of them may form a embryo. So there's attrition at each step. So having more numbers is obviously helpful, but as we always say here, egg quality is always going to trump egg quantity, because you just need one good embryo to make a baby at the end of the day. So to your questions now, I opened up a and a box about egg freezing over on Instagram. So I'm going to answer all the ones that were not about diet and then I'll answer all the nutrition lifestyle ones in the next episode. The first question was, how was your mood impacted by the meds, worried about how this will affect work, etc.? I felt that my mood was a little bit more sensitive and I was more emotional in general, but not so much so that I was, you know, distressed by it at all. You know, just things that normally would roll off my back, I was a little bit more teary about, like silly things like ads or a funny TikTok or whatever. But it wasn't so much so that I was, you know, really noticing it. It didn't affect my work personally, my moods. Um, I did communicate to my team that I was doing this and it was starting and that I, I wasn't sure how I would feel. And so I let them know and they were really supportive and, you know, we're like, whatever you need or if you want some space, let us know. So that was really helpful. The other one, why did I choose to freeze my eggs? Fellow endo battler here. Uh, I think that's all covered in this episode. Was it what you expected? Great question. Uh, Yes, I would say this is almost exactly what I expected from a outcome perspective and a process perspective. The one thing I didn't expect was the intensity of some of the symptoms that I experienced in my stims, the physical symptoms, to bother me as much as they did. So I was quite bloated because obviously you've got ovaries getting larger. I felt that it was getting harder to to wee, to urinate. Um, my bowels definitely felt a little bit off. I just felt like, well, like my nipples were really sore and sensitive. So I mean, none of it was out of like what I expected in terms of what clients have said to me, but I guess I just didn't really give it enough credit for how much it can really impact you and how you feel. Um, I felt quite tired. I had no desire to exercise after a few days once I got quite stimmed. And so yeah, have a whole new appreciation for my beautiful clients. Did the injections cause you to gain weight? Look, I don't know. I'm not a big on the scales kind of gal. It definitely caused me to gain bloat and fluid, but probably too soon to say if it, caused me to gain weight I can see how it could not because of the injections themselves but because of the behaviors that you engage in not exercising as much typically yeah I don't know you just feel sorry for yourself if I'm honest like you just feel like why am I poking my stomach it hurts it's pain you feel like you deserve a treat all the time I mean this is just reward-based eating dietitian brain on but yeah, I mean, I can see how if you did multiple rounds of this, you could gain weight. Absolutely. But really, it's two weeks. If you're doing the right thing most of the time, you'll be fine. I don't think we should say IVF injections are the, the cause of weight gain. I think for some people, there can be just like taking the pill or coming off the pill. Some people gain or lose a lot of weight. Um, some people are just more sensitive to hormones than others. I am not that sensitive from a weight perspective, but I definitely gained bloat, and I think that's to be expected. Do the hormone injections negatively affect endo, leading to increased growth or pain? Look, I think at the end of the day, you have to weigh up all this stuff, right? So for me, I know my endometriosis is going to grow back anyway. Like, I already know it's growing back. So of two weeks of a little bit of increased estrogen it's a drop in the ocean in the scale of your life. And if it means that I'm protecting my eggs from endo in the future, then so be it. I didn't have an increase in pain from endo specifically. Uh, again, I have very quite mild symptoms, so I guess I'm lucky in that respect. I'm not sure that there is evidence to say that hormone injections can negatively affect endo. I do know some clients, just anecdotally, have quite significant endo flare-ups as a result of some hormone injections, and others do not. So, a bit of a mixed bag on that front. I might need to look into that though. Next question: It seems that bulk billing clinics don't go, don't offer general to retrieve. Is it painful? Look, I went under, so I cannot speak from personal experience. I don't imagine it would be incredibly comfortable but I imagine it would be tolerable. Everybody's pain tolerances are different. I understand that mine are decently high. Um, I tolerate quite a lot before I'm quite uncomfortable or will communicate that I'm uncomfortable. A lot of clinics do offer the green whistle and local anesthesia. I think, you know, if you can distract yourself, that would probably be wise. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's just one of those things where this is part of saving costs in bulk billing clinics and so they're not going to offer that to you and that sucks but i think it's one of those situations where this is part of some of the trade-offs will it be hard to work should i take time off look i would say that you should reduce your level of responsibility during this time um particularly towards the end At at the start i was completely fine with injections But I would say the day of egg retrieval do not work and you should not be working and potentially the day after. If you want to be generous, I worked the following day, but I have a flexible job. Um, I'm the boss and I sat on my computer in my pyjamas and I didn't really have to talk to anybody. So I'm in a position where I can do that. So it just depends. Everybody is different. But if I was an employee, I would probably have taken two days off did you feel like you could work with all the emotions and the hormones? Yes, I did. I could still do my job. I felt a bit brain foggy, but I was still able to do my job. I can do my job at the back of my hand. However, I have learnt, so I was fine. I think if you were trying to hide it, like if you were trying to not disclose to your workplace that you were freezing your eggs or whatever – I would feel probably more uncomfortable. If you are open and you're in an environment where it's supported, you'll be fine. I think it's if you're trying to, you know, be private about it and all this kind of stuff, which I totally respect. I mean, not everyone's going to be open like me, but I do find that in my experience, the more open you are, the more the more opportunity people actually have to support you and give you concessions where you need it. At the end of the day, that's just part and parcel. You're a human being and you're not a work machine. So it's normal to have day-to-day fluctuations and a couple of weeks of you not being on your absolute, absolute A game. So be it. All right. The rest of the questions are nutrition. So I will save those for the next episode, but I just want to close out by saying I had such overwhelming support over on Instagram during this time. And I'm so grateful for that because at the time I was doing everything alone and I'm extremely independent, but I could definitely see how it could feel like a bit of a lonely road. So I'm super appreciative for everybody's kind messages, people checking in on me, sending me DMs and just following along. And yeah, I I was super appreciative of that. And I also just want to say to anyone who's going through IVF or freezing their eggs or going through fertility treatments, like I see you and I always had deep empathy for what you go through to make life happen, but I have a whole new level of empathy and understanding for what you're going through and I am looking forward to... To being able to apply that to my practice and enhance the care that we give to clients as well. So just wanted to say a big thank you um, to all those amazing humans. Like I said, I don't want this to come across as, you know, this is a promotional podcast for go and freeze your eggs. It's not going to be right for everybody and not everyone can afford it. Um, Oh, one of the other questions was cost. I forgot to say that one. So I ended up getting some funding to get my eggs frozen by Medicare. So I had the cost of medications covered, which was about close to $1,800 for the meds. And the procedure itself is $11,000, but you get about half of that back in a rebate. And the anesis was $350. And the procedure, the day stay, wasn't covered by my insurance. So that was $1,275. And then you've got the doctor's fees, whatever they are. And then you've got the ongoing storage fees of freezing your eggs. So that's, I think, about 50 bucks a month or so. So I think all up, I'll be out of pocket close to 8 maybe. Um, yeah, around that, I would say. I know once all my rebates come back, which I'm still waiting for, so I'm currently out of pocket a lot more than I should be. Look, it's not it's not cheap, um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that I am in a privileged position to be able to do it. And yeah, I think it's important that people at any age be aware of and empowered by their fertility. I know a lot of people feel extremely emotional that they're in a position where they need to freeze their eggs, whether it be because of low ovarian reserve or something else. And a lot of people get quite distressed by it. And I think, you know, that's always going to be an emotional thing for some people. I personally didn't find it that distressing at all i found it very empowering i felt like i was taking control of my health and well-being i was doing something productive i was going to thank myself later for it and yeah i was actually super proud of my body it produced 16 mature eggs that i can use later that's like doing 16 menstrual cycles worth of creating follicles like that's insane so yeah i just encourage you to like Talk to somebody about it and also flip the script. Somebody asked me for a list of psychologists that specialise in fertility. Hun, if I had that list, I would give it to you. I don't have it. You've got to just find people near you that are qualified. Um, there's no fertility certification, so look up fertility psychologist near you if you want to know someone who's got insight into the process. But I think any psychologist should be able to guide you through these kinds of life changes as well. So yeah, anyway, I, this episode, you can tell I did not script it. It's been very, <laughs> a little bit all over the map, but I just want to talk, I guess, from the top of my head, from my heart, if you will, on this topic, because, yeah, I think it was important for it to just be a raw and open kind of conversation. So thank you for hanging out with me for 45 minutes almost, goodness gracious, uh, on this topic. So it's a, it's a lot of me, me, me. So appreciate you. And yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe creating something for people who want to freeze their eggs but can't afford to see a dietitian. So uh, stay tuned for that. I am going to look at working on something of that nature in the coming months. All right. Stay tuned. Next week will be part two where I answer your nutrition questions about egg freezing. Catch you in the next episode.